Welcome back to Expanding the Continuum, where we explore the clinical, ethical, and programmatic issues that emerge when providing HIV care to survivors of violence. We invite luminaries in the field to discuss the real implications of a health sector response to intimate and patriarchal violence and the intersections with HIV. This podcast is brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the National Network to End Domestic Violence. Thanks for joining us. I am so delighted to be having a conversation today with Dinah Ortiz. I'm going to let her tell us a little bit about herself uh, right now. So welcome, Dinah. Tell us a little bit about you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Ravi. Um, so I am so honored to have been asked to be here today. And a little bit about me. I have been a drug user activist and a humanitarian activist, um, human rights activist, uh, child regulation system activist, or any, any type of activist that you can think of uh, as far as uh, supporting and, and um, advocating for marginalized communities. I have been for over 25 years. I am currently on the board of North Carolina Survivors Union, as well as Urban Survivors Union, as well as part of an advisory, uh, drug user-led advisory circle that is just in the making, um, first nationwide advisory circle that is drug user-led, and a couple of other projects that I have going on as well. So yeah, and this is, you know, this is what I love to do, and I just don't see myself doing anything else. Mm, wonderful. So I think... Well, I think it would be really helpful for our listeners um, to get some context. Today, we are going to be talking about harm reduction. And I think it would be helpful for folks to get a, a picture of why, you know, wh why we are talking about harm reduction when we're thinking about the intersections between HIV and IPV. Can you offer a quick little history of the harm reduction movement for folks to kind of get up to speed on you know, what a long and important history this movement has had in supporting survivors and marginalized people more generally. Yeah, I mean, you know, harm reduction now is well known. Um, it's, it's definitely uh, one of the more prominent models of focuses when it comes down to uh, safe consumptions and being able to uh, utilize the tools that they have learned throughout the throughout their years of using and, and being able to keep themselves and their family members or, or you know and their friends and their loved ones um say using safely and um reducing any type of harms and so mm. you know a lot of times most of the time the people that i've run into and the people that i have you know uh worked with i have we have all realized that we have been utilizing the harm reduction method way be before we even knew their, what it meant mm. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I, I, I like to tie it to is that like I, you know, I didn't even know what uh, what harm reduction was if they would have said it, but I knew that I was utilizing it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate. So you gave a little synopsis of what you mean by harm reduction. Why did it originally emerge? Was it really about putting people who were using at the center of the solution, like finding the solutions or or was there some I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious about the history of how it emerged. Yeah, so it it was um, just kind of, you know, being tired, like our community just being tired of, of dying, right? And being tired mm -hmm. of no one out there, like, meeting us where we were at and nobody mm -hmm. trying to um, let us have a space where, we could, where our voices would be heard so that we mm -hmm. could tell them what it was that we needed to be able to, to live and to be able to survive. And, and so... 
it really is about, you know, just meeting people where they at and, and knowing that like recovery and sub, um, abstinence is not the answer to everything. And mm-hmm. that harm reduction is actually another way, another way of mm-hmm. living, another way of surviving and another way of just uh, living, you know, uh, safely. Yeah, I mean, this really speaks to me. I mean, at its heart, it's an equity-oriented approach. It's, you know, thinking about meeting people where they're at, like you said, attending to the needs of the most vulnerable in an effort to improve conditions for everyone. It's like a, you know, fine point on equity um, and improving conditions for people. And what you said just now also reminds me of the way that we think about helping support survivors like that there are a lot of overlaps in what we're already doing in domestic violence so i would love to invite you to sort of make some connections with violence prevention how how do you see how can we apply these principles of harm reduction to supporting survivors within the healthcare setting or otherwise because just to back up a little, you know, often in the healthcare setting, it is very provider driven. Like we have this, people have the roster of things that will reduce harm, right? Like use condoms or, you know, like they're, they're just like very one size fits all pat answers. Like you said, abstinence is not the right answer for everyone or recovery is not the right solution for everyone. Similarly, whether it's reproductive health care or domestic violence advocacy we might, we run into, or HIV care, we could run into these places where it's like prescriptive and provider driven. Where, where do you see this application for caring for survivors in the healthcare system? Yes, yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, so harm reduction, again, it's, it's a model. And so it's it's basically can be used in any aspect of life because it, it's not married to drug use, right? It, it's not something that is like, is just defined by, you know, people who use drugs. It is actually, uh, again, it's a a way of understanding that you can be in a situation like, you know, in in a domestic violence situation and and be able to, you know, just do things on every day to keep yourself alive, to keep yourself safe, right? To reach out to to, um, family members or friends or to, you know, get your children out of the situation. You know, little steps that you can take um, start, you know, to go to a shelter or to like plan, even speaking about things that you are planning to, you know, to get done, to try to remove yourself from the situation or even lessen the harm that is being done to you, right? Getting birth control, right? Using, utilizing birth control, you know, going to the doctor, going, you know, getting your checkups, your physical checkups monthly. All of these things that you're taking care of yourself as well and, you know, taking care of your family if you have, you know, mm. your kids or whatever, and being able to sh- to keep yourself safe and and healthy and alive and keep your you know your family that way, all of that is harm reduction, right? All of that mm. is lessening the harms. And so, you know, when we think about a- in any type of situation, you know, automatically people when they hear harm reduction, they think about drug use. But I really would like for people to understand that like that is not it's they're not married. It's not married to drug use, and it can actually be utilized in any aspect of your life. Mm. Yeah, my association with harm reduction, to be honest, is in HIV care because, um, you know, there's like this chart of relative risk, like risk behaviors, quote unquote, and then they there's like this impulse to have interventions. Like you can reduce your harm in these ways by doing these things. And it's, it's fairly prescriptive. It's not, it doesn't come from the survivor's own assessment of their 
situation. And so I like this, I like this, uh, this thinking about this as an approach, as opposed to a strategy or, you know, just like a single tra tactic. Um, can you think of any good examples where, um, you know, where this has been effective, the application, I, I can, I appreciate what you're saying that this is a model that can be used in every facet of life, like even in your own, like, family life, like you can use a harm reduction model. But can you offer any examples in your work um, with any of the, I mean, you're involved with so many different coalitions and, and projects, um, where there was like an interesting application of harm reduction to care for survivors or people living with HIV? Yes, yes. So, so, um, you know, Several years ago, uh, when I was working with direct uh, direct client uh, contact and, and direct access with clients, I had a client who was, well, I had many clients who were in DV situations, but one specifically, um, it was something very minor that if nobody, if you didn't know the person and you didn't like understand already what the situation was, you wouldn't even think about what it was that they were doing. But she would come to our office every day, right? And she would mm. had an excuse to meet with me every day. It would be rather it be for five minutes or for 10 minutes. And so I would always get an email that, you know, oh, my client was in the waiting room, my client was in the lobby, my client was in the lobby. And I and just one day I just finally asked her, I was like, hey, so because she's always like, oh, I'm in the area. I needed to drop this off to you or I needed to do it. And I'm like, why do you, you know, you know, you come here at least three, three days out of the out of the week, right? It's like, oh, I didn't even think about it. And, and you know, as we kept talking about it, she was she then confided in me that it was because she wanted to get away from her home and she wanted to, you know, kind of remove herself from the situation because her partner had been, you know, drinking or what have you. And he was like an angry drunk and he she was, you know, basically wanting to remove herself from that situation. And so that to me was harm reduction. Yeah. Right. Just knowing so to remove insightful. yourself and having the wherewithal to remove yourself out of the situation and keep yourself safe and, and, and just, uh, you know, reducing the harm. And um, it was very minor, and and I didn't even bring it to her attention at that time because it didn't like dawn on me until you know probably months later that I thought about it, and I was like, wow, like that was harm reduction right there. Yeah, and the fact that your center was welcoming and a space where she knew she could just show up and be like, have some excuse, and have a safe conversation. Yeah, it's just that's survival yeah. right there. That's brilliant. Yeah, she would come, and, um, and we had the lobby, and so she would sit there. Literally, like, reading the newspaper or going on her phone, whatever, like, for hours. And then, like, when I was able to see her, I would come and see her. But I knew also that I could just, she would be okay in the lobby and that I could come and see her when I got a second. So it was really, it was good on her part. It was strategic. I liked it. <laughs> Very powerful. How, well, actually, this brings up a question for me. How can a clinic, a provider, whether it's a caseworker or a clinician or, yeah, anyone else working in a clinic let people know that that is an option. You know, I'm always thinking about how do we support healthcare providers to create environments that are places where survivors think, oh, this is a safe enough place for me to just be um, if I need to do something like this. What do you think? I mean, I'm assuming it was your relationship with her that was like the number one reason she felt good about it. But um, what do you think was working for her in that situation? The fact that there was a space that she could come to. I mean, was oh, there any, there was no clinic policy about, or or program policy about like not hanging around in the waiting, like. Oh no, so this basically, was Basically what can folks do? Yeah, oh, mm -hmm. so the, yeah, there was definitely not a policy about like, you know, it wasn't considered loitering, you know, cause she was, you know, mm -hmm. definitely, she had like an excuse to come in every day. And even if she didn't, it was like an, an open door policy where you could come in, 
you know, we had coffee available and sometimes, you know, crackers or donuts or what have you there. And it was a very, like, welcoming space. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think what was helpful was that the, the, the front desk, the reception staff were very welcoming. Um, they were never, like, you know, they weren't judgmental. They weren't, you know, kind of, like, stalking her, trying to figure out why she was there every day or asking her too many questions. They were just, like, you know, welcoming her and letting her know, you know, asking her what she was there for and, you know, sending an email, sending me an email and letting her know, like, you know, they would get back to her when I was available or that I would be out to see her. But they were never, like, micromanaging her or anything to try to, figure, you know, like, let her know that she was being a nuisance. Like, it was never like that. And I think that that made her feel very, you know, um, welcome to, to come and visit and, you know do what she did yeah and how powerful that ultimately she felt safe enough to share with you yeah what she was going through um because that will connect her to more resources right yeah absolutely ultimately absolutely and it took me a while like i said to kind of even ask her ask her that and if you don't have the relationship with the person you can't just come mm -hmm. out and ask them something like that so it was you know time of me nurturing and building our relationship and and then you know, coming out and asking her that, knowing that it's a very sensitive question and, and it may, you know, steer her the other way, right? And so mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to do that. I'd have to be very cautious. So when we're talking about survivors of domestic violence, we have to also be thinking about pregnant and parenting people. I wonder if you have any um, insight on how a harm reduction approach can specifically help pregnant or parenting survivors who use drugs. And uh, this, this is to really bring in the heart of harm reduction where, you know, where it originates. Um, because you, I think for advocates and healthcare providers alike, that that nexus sometimes can make it challenging because drugs are used sometimes by the abuser to control their partner. And sometimes drugs are used to soothe or self-medicate from the harm that's being experienced. So there are just so many ways that drugs interact with um, domestic violence that I'm um, curious what your thoughts are on how pregnant and parenting survivors who are using drugs can particularly be helped by a harm reduction approach. Yes. Um, no, that's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, this is absolutely the population that I feel the most kind of connected to. Um, is like pregnant and, and birthing people um, because of the fact that like um, pregnant and birthing people who use drugs because of the fact that, you know, this was the situation that I was in, you know, when I was uh, when I had my children and there was nowhere that I could turn to for kind of help or support or anything like that. It was just a lot of like stigma and a lot of, you know, uh, you, you've got to reach, you know, you've got to reach the bottom before you can help you or, you know, mm -hmm. you love drugs more than you love your children. Like everything that you could think of, like, was being thrown at me. And then on top of that, being in that type of situation, you know, it makes it all the more difficult. And so if you have a partner that is the one that is, that is the abuser who is using and you are trying to keep your family together because, you know, maybe you may, you have nowhere to go or, you, you know, you're just afraid to leave, you know, whatever the reason is, you want to be able to support your partner in whatever decision that they make as far as like whether or not they want to, you know, uh, seek treatment or, you know, be abstinent. The goal is to be at, reach abstinence or, you know, you utilize harm reduction in that manner, but also keeping yourself safe at, at the same time, right? And so you want to be mm -hmm. able to, 
you know, like have resources available or, you know, point them in the right direction and let them know. Like if you're in that space where you can like talk to them and, and let them know, like, listen, like these are the things that, are, that happen when you're using. And so if you could possibly like talk to them about like possibly like not using as much when they're, you know, when, when they're in that space or, or not, you know, using the, the, the same drug that they use that makes them so angry to get to the point where they're at with you. Um, I think just having these conversations with your partner is is all encompassing and, and it's about harm reduction, but also for yourself, kind of knowing that you don't want to like, you know, you don't want to say the wrong things to be, you know, to make the your partner kind of like lose it or whatever. Um, not that it will be your fault, but just knowing that the things that, that you do, things that you do and the things that you say can kind of already like, you know, make them blow up or make them, you know, get angry or make them physical with you. And so you want to be able to just mitigate your own kind of like responses and reactions because you know that they're not, you know, whatever, whatever it is that's going on with them, they're not in a space where they can actually deal or hear you, you know, uh, clearly. Um, and that certain things, you know, and the drug may, maybe enhances their anger. And so you want to be able to mitigate your safety and your, you know, kind of like your actions whenever it is that you're around them, if you're around them, and if you can remove yourself from the situation, knowing that they're using and that when they use, they get angry, then that's what you want to be able to do is kind of remove yourself from the situation. Mm, that's good advice for survivors. What advice would you have for advocates or providers that are supporting survivors, um, specifically pregnant survivors using drugs? If there's a I know there's no formula, you know, like that's the whole point. There's no one size fits all. It's really like a long and circuitous pathway to find, to support survivors, to identify the best solution for themselves. Um, but um, just, I'm just curious if you had any other last thoughts for providers or advocates on how they can be good resources for survivors, pregnant survivors using drugs? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that it's about, again, building and nurturing the relationship with the person, you know, um, that's in that situation because they're not going to feel, they're not going to feel safe to, to talk with you about anything if you're not, if they don't, there's not that relationship there at least being built upon. And so making sure that you are meaningfully including that person in, in whatever, you know, conversations that you have with them and that you're not talking at them, right? And so that you're hearing them and you're talking with them and giving them space to be able to like share with you whatever it is that they want to share with you without feeling forced to have to share with you their most intimate, you know, details mm. about what's going on at home. Um, and offering up to them that like, you know, there are support networks out there that may not hone in on this exact situation that they're in, but say, for example, that, you know, they can, there's different like therapy sessions that they can attend that have like group therapy and stuff like that for women who are in DV situations or IPV situations. Um, and that they can, you know, like just learn and connect and, and um, connect with other women that are in that situation or, you know, other people that are in that situation that may also be able to offer them kind of support systems that are support mm -hmm. networks that are out there. Again, there's not, there's not too many things out there that, that offer up services for women that are like, you know, that you're pregnant or birthing people who use drugs um, that are in, you know, DV relationships. But for the most part, it is about networking and being able to, you know, those who you feel closest to and you feel safest around, being able to share with them what it is that you're going through. Mm. So for providers and advocates, it's really going to be about identifying who's doing that, who is providing those services in their community. Yeah. And how do we 
how do we connect? Yeah, it's how do we it is, and it's but it's difficult. It's difficult because there's not a lot of services out there for them. So they really mm-hmm. have to the services that they are in. They really need to like use them <clears throat> as much as possible. Excuse me, and 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 get as much out of it as possible because there's not a lot that is like geared towards this population. I mean, it feels like the barrier first and foremost is the stigma. Like it seems like people are. The services are not there because there either isn't a perceived need, which doesn't seem right, or there's like some kind of stigma that prevents people from focusing on this population Um, because either, like you were saying before, they're deemed bad moms or unfit or something like that, or they can't, um, they aren't, yeah, taken seriously with all of the issues that are going on at the same time. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is like a, a call to action in a way, like pay better attention to pregnant parenting survivors who use drugs, <laughs> you know, um, to kind of ensure that we're attending to the most marginalized in our system. Um, is there something that you have read that you would recommend for listeners who want to learn, like key principles of harm reduction, how to you know, good case studies or examples or stories, I'd love to include them in the show notes if you, if anything comes to mind. Yeah, I would, I think that for folks to understand that, you know, again, harm reduction um, is not tied to to drug use and that it can be utilized in in this situation um, and in all aspects of life. Um, And also that if it is, you know, a pregnant or birthing person who is using drugs um, at the same time and is going through this, you know, uh, DV situation, that they need to understand that there's stigma attached to even sharing that they're that they're using drugs and they're in a DV situation because most of the time they're blamed for for the situation that they're in. And so, mm-hmm. to make sure that they they create space and they keep an open mind so that the person feels safe enough to be able to share with them at their time, you know, in their time uh, when they're ready to be able to share with them so that they can see the, receive the support that is definitely needed. Okay, fantastic. Okay, I have one final question. Tell us something that you have been, this is a joy question. <laughs> Tell us something you've been watching or reading or listening to that has been inspiring you or bringing you joy. Oh, what I've been watching or reading I wish I could, you know, I wish I had a really great answer for that because um, it, it's it would be great if I was actually, if I had time to actually watch something other than like crappy binge watching, you know, when I when I can't sleep. But, but is it bringing you joy? Is that bringing, crappy binge watching? It's bringing me joy. It's bringing me okay. joy. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> bringing me joy. And it's I'm a little behind in the game, in, in the whole thing, but it's Game of Thrones. And oh. uh, I have to say it's absolutely bringing me joy to watch. Excellent. Yes. You are not alone in that. The I, world I over letting, has I'm been enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Dinah, it's been such a yeah. pleasure to learn from you, listen to you, talk with you. Um, I'm so delighted that we got to do this yeah. and I look forward to working with you more. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Expanding the Continuum, brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the National Network to End Domestic Violence. If you like our show and want to know more about addressing the intersections of HIV and intimate partner violence, visit us online at ipvhealth.org and at nnedv.org. Thanks for listening.